Jen here with a quick update for new listeners. Watch with Jen began its life solely on Patreon, and while that's still the first place I publish new episodes, all of which you can listen to as soon as they drop for as little as a dollar a month, once they're unlocked to everyone, you will find them available to listen to here as well. Just a heads up if you wonder why I talk about Patreon so much for the first few shows. Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or at FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Hope you're all doing well and that you enjoyed the first two episodes of our sister pod series, Watch with Jen and Friends, which premiered last week with episode one with author Jordan Harper and episode two with journalist Candace Frederick. My goal with this is to talk to as many different people as possible because we all have unique taste and can hopefully inspire one another to seek out films that we might not have heard of or things that might be slightly out of our comfort zone and just try to broaden our horizons and find new titles to enjoy. So I have a stellar lineup again coming at you. I've really enjoyed talking to all of these people, sometimes with video face to face, so I can finally see and hear people that I've only known through the keyboard. It's been wonderful. And I can't wait to bring you more episodes. Everyone I've talked to so far wants to come back and they're all fabulous people. So it would be great to have them all back. And I really look forward to doing that. Speaking to everyone and becoming curious about titles that are totally new to me is making me very interested and wanting to collaborate with all of you. I hear back from a number of you through messages or replies or Twitter comments, and I always love that. I've added a few new tiers and rewards to my Patreon with this in mind. Because of time allotment and now that I'm releasing on average about three pods a week, in addition to also writing for my site and doing other things, housework, typical stuff, time is definitely a factor. So I started with the $5 to $10 range tiers, but I'm going to definitely open it up and create new surprises for everyone and opportunities to inspire me to come up with a recommendation for you. I have a few tiers on there, new levels that ask you to help me come up with letterbox lists that I would dedicate to you as well. Twitter threads of movies, actors, directors, that kind of thing that you would like to see. So there's a lot of cool new things on there. And like I said, stay tuned because I'm starting to get the hang of this and hopefully we'll continue to improve and continue to offer you great content. So thank you so much for your support. Before we jump into the movies really quickly, I would like to 
update you on a trilogy that I brought up, I believe it was in episode two, Easy Money. It's the Stockholm Noir trilogy with Joel Kinnaman, which Netflix is going to make a series of, or at least they were, knock on wood that they're still doing that, or that they already got a head start. So keep your fingers crossed on that. Voodoo has just added Easy Money 2 and Easy Money 3 to their free service. So you do have to rent, unless it's on another service that I did not see, the first Easy Money film. But if you get into that, and I don't know why you wouldn't, the other two are right there waiting for you for free on Vudu. There are ads, unfortunately, but they're uncut and great movies. I would love to hear your reaction to them. But without further ado, let's go right to the titles that I picked out for you this week. One of the biggest perks when it comes to writing about film as opposed to talking about it, is you don't have to worry about pronunciation. I do get very nitpicky and want to make sure that I have all the names spelled correctly, of course, and the accents in the right place, but I don't have to concern myself with wondering how to say these gorgeous exotic names that I keep writing That all changed when I started this podcast, and I'm sure I've butchered some names. I do apologize. It's funny, I try to look up everyone's name ahead of time, and I watch like YouTube videos or pronunciation guides. Sometimes I find that people have given various ways of pronouncing a a name, and it's always, always confusing. Case in point is the actress who stars in our first film. If you would have asked me last week, I probably would have said her name was Romola Garay or Romola Garay. Turns out it is Romola Gary. How I know that's the definitive way to say it. I watched a few interviews. Everyone was saying it a different way. A man actually asked her in a Sundance interview how to say your name. She said it. I must have repeated it 40 times like an insane person. I'm sure my neighbor is like a little worried about me and my obsession with Romola Gary. But she stars in the first film that I do want to bring up. She's a fabulous actress. No stranger to starring in any number of literary adaptations. I think she burst onto the scene with Daniel Deronda, which was made, I believe, for the BBC in the late 1990s. It's a very good one. She was also in the big screen edition of Nicholas Nickleby and starred in, I mean, I've enjoyed every adaptation of Emma. Don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, but I really loved the one with Romola Gary. She has the effervescence that you imagine when you read Jane Austen's words and just shines in this miniseries that was made, I would say around 2007, 2008-ish for the BBC opposite Johnny Lee Miller. So it's really good. The film that I would like to talk about today, though, is I Capture the Castle, which came out in 2003 from director Tim Fywell, who, like Romola, is no stranger to directing great television. He directed some episodes of one of my favorite shows, 
over in England, Cracker with Robbie Coltrane. If you like dark, gritty mysteries, drop everything and go check out that series. He also directed Cambridge Spies and a number of other titles for the BBC and for television over in the UK. I Capture the Castle, which you can find on Vudu right now for free, along with, as said before, the Easy Money films, is based upon the first novel by Dodie Smith, as in 101 Dalmatians author Dodie Smith. It was her first book. She was then an established playwright. It was written during the Second World War when she and her husband, also British, a conscientious objector, were living in California and she missed home in England dearly. In the film, Romola plays a 17-year-old named Cassandra Mortmain, who is a very bright, precocious, aspiring writer, the daughter of an eccentric, father and an eccentric family all around. Bill Nye plays the father. He is fabulous. He's an author who's had writer's block since he first published his amazingly successful novel 12 years earlier. He has not written a thing. And at the beginning of the film, they are struggling to survive in genteel poverty and they come upon a decaying English castle and that's where they live. She lives alongside her beautiful sister, her older sister Rose, played by the beautiful Rose Byrne, who because of being tired of the way that their family lives, aspires to live much better than they do and marry for money. Cassandra and Rose have a younger brother and also live with their bohemian stepmother Topaz, who is a former model. She's played by Tara Fitzgerald, who is great. She was in so many wonderful British films in the 1990s, and she's pretty scandalous in this one for the time period and for England, I should say, because her character still loves to just sunbathe naked. And at the beginning of the film, the American landlord that owns the castle that they're living in pays them a visit. It is none other than Henry Thomas as an E.T. phone home, Henry Thomas. He and his brother, played by Mark Blucas, who Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans would remember, become involved with the two sisters. A romance develops between Rose and Simon Cotton, played by Henry Thomas. It's just a great coming-of-age movie. It's very funny. If you're a writer especially, you will dig it. One of the standouts in the film, besides the gorgeous cinematography by Richard Greatrex, who shot Shakespeare in Love, A Knight's Tale, and many other films, is the music by Dario Marianelli, who composed that great score with the typewriters for Atonement, which also starred Romola Gary as the older version of the Saoirse Ronan character. Adapted by Heidi Thomas, who has written a lot for television, including... Lilies, Ballet Shoes, Cranford, the new Upstairs Downstairs that they shot in like 2010. One of the things that I really like about it is that it, it does have a romantic plot, but it isn't fully what drives the entire film. It's really a woman coming into her own, and it does dare to show you that sometimes romance isn't the end destination, it's the journey. So I recently shared it as a title I recommend often to others for the romance DVD chat that I hosted on behalf of DVD Netflix. 
And it's one that, honestly, I could watch a number of times, and I have. And every time I've recommended it to someone, they've always come back and thanked me for it, and then want to know other movies that are like that. So I really thought that this would capture your imagination, just like they capture the castle, and hopefully delight you and your entire family. Oh my god, you guys, can you believe that I made it to the seventh episode of Watch With Jen without recommending a single film with Robert De Niro? I know, it's bananas and it needs to change. So it's going to right now. The film that I'd like to talk about today is one that was inspired by two conversations I had last week. I mean, I thought about recommending this ever since I saw it was playing on Stars. But then I first spoke with Jordan Harper and couldn't believe that he had never seen it because the man is like a 90s crime movie encyclopedia. I mean, you've heard that episode. He's unreal. And then also a conversation that I had with Kate. Gabrielle, who has never seen a De Niro movie, and I really am hoping to ease her in to nice Bobby and show his sweet side and his romances before I just scar her for life by recommending some of his darker movies that he's also delicious in, but you know, we don't want to scare her too much right away. So the film I'm talking about today is Mad Dog and Glory. It came out in 1993. It was directed by John McNeil. Naughton, who had a really interesting career. He started with, of course, broke out with the Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer film. Then he directed episodes of like Homicide, Life on the Street. He did Wild Things, that Denise Richards, Nev Campbell, Kevin Bacon, cult erotic thriller classic. But this gets him sort of in his sweet spot of crime comedy that has a little bit of an edge, but it's still a nice romance. It's a little bit of everything. You can kind of approach it looking for the crime aspect and you will find that the comedic aspect, and it's totally there. And the romance at the heart of it was real enough that Robert De Niro became involved with Uma Thurman when they shot the film. Produced by Martin Scorsese and Barbara Defina, and shot by Robbie Muller, the Repo Man, Paris, Texas, to live and die in LA cinematographer who has collaborated legendarily with Jim Jarmusch and Lars von Trier in Breaking the Waves. Michael Winterbottom in 24-Hour Party People, Robbie Mueller or Mother, again, I do apologize if I'm butchering that, makes everything beautiful, even the gritty stuff, and it's no exception here. The movie does open with a very gritty scene, actually. It's in a car, there's a murder, but we need this little crime to go down because it's how the characters cross paths and how we first become introduced to our main character, played by Robert De Niro, who has never drawn his gun on the job. He's a Chicago police department crime scene photographer. So the co-workers, the other cops, all just call him Mad Dog as a joke. He responds to the scene. He's partners with David Caruso, who steals this film. Pretty much every scene he's in, he kind of just takes away from all of the other actors, including Bobby, which is crazy to say, but he does. There's one in the bar with Kathy Baker where he comes to her aid and intervenes because she's being smacked around off screen by another cop. And, you know, there's kind of that unspoken thing where cops aren't supposed to bust other cops. 
and he goes over there and he's like you're not on my job and I'm leaving out some of the cursing on that but it's just a killer scene and I feel like David Caruso did some of his best stuff when Richard Price wrote for him. Richard Price of course is a crime novelist. He wrote a number of great films in the 90s including Clockers which was produced by Scorsese as well for Spike Lee. One of his best movies that nobody ever seems to talk about. Check it out if you get a chance. But Price writes for these actors so well. After Wayne, played by De Niro, finishes the photography at the crime scene, he goes into a local store just to pick up something for a coworker and finds that it's being held up by none other than the shooter who had committed the crime that opened the movie. De Niro finds him holding Bill Murray, who is a mob boss in Chicago named Frank Milo, hostage. He intervenes. It's pretty much the most exciting thing the man has done on the job, the mad dog. And Frank Milo wants to pay him back for saving his life. So Bill Murray, and again, it's crazy that Bill Murray is playing the heavy in a movie opposite De Niro, but he does, and he does it so well while also being hilarious, decides that because he seems like a lonely man, he sends over Glory, played by Uma Thurman, to basically babysit him for a week, be his girlfriend kind of thing. De Niro does not want this to happen. He tries to send her away right away. She is not a hooker or anything like that. We do learn that the bartender played by Uma Thurman, is just working for him to pay off a debt that her brother owes to the gangster. Of course, gradually they become involved and it's getting closer to the end of the week coming up. And of course, he does not want to let her go. So it becomes a confrontation between De Niro, Bill Murray, with Uma Thurman caught in the middle. And David Caruso decides that he's going to be a heavy because he has no problem just getting in anyone's face. There's a lot to love about this movie. It's surprising, though, because you hear the plot line and you just assume one thing. You think it's like a pretty woman or an indecent proposal kind of thing, but it's actually a very sweet story about lonely people trying to connect and also do good. So embarrassingly, I was telling Jordan this story and might as well share it here. When I was growing up, I hated being so tall and taller than all of the boys in school. Most of my best friends actually were the shortest kids in school, so I'm sure we looked hilarious like walking down the hall. I was tall enough that people from behind would assume I was a teacher. Sometimes I was taller than my first grade teacher when I was in first grade and he was a male. So by the time I'd reached middle to high school, when you start having crushes on everyone and boys aren't really warming up to you because your growth spurt is so much more advanced than theirs and you're like five or six inches taller, it's it's very awkward. So I hated being so tall. Of course, around this time, I also had a huge crush on Robert De Niro and I found out that Uma Thurman was my height. So I used to, again, very embarrassing, but I used to use her as sort of a mental yardstick. I still do every once in a while just for fun. So I was thinking, you know, how tall is De Niro? And so I would look at her opposite Bill Murray or De Niro, and it's the dumbest 
thing. So please, when you watch this movie, just enjoy it for the movie that it is. And don't think about, of course, now that's all you're going to think about is Jen being this like awkward girl plugging herself into various films that starred Uma Thurman because she was trying to feel better about herself for being tall. So I'm sure that's like all you're going to think about now when you see the movie and she walks on screen. But yeah, and I actually think I might be slightly taller than her now, but it was around the same height. And anyway, she definitely made me feel better about being tall. So thank you very much, Uma. For whatever strange, strange reason, she is somebody that I get compared to a lot. I've had Sofia Coppola. I've had Anne Hathaway in Devil Wears Prada because she kind of had my hair. But it's been the craziest thing because I don't see this Uma thing at all, except maybe we're both kind of tall and skinny. Like, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's my personality. I don't know. But I've always been kind of compared to her and I'm nowhere in that league. But it's been very flattering. And so, yeah, she really was somebody I used to, and I still do, look up to on screen. So this was one of my favorite movies, obviously, when I was growing up. And I still love to watch it today, especially on sick days or for comfort. I mean, it's great anytime, but I can't wait for you to get a chance to see this one and let me know what you think. I think it's one that you will really warm up to. Again, it's on Stars. It's one of my favorite De Niro movies. I watched it way too many times. Kino Lorber put out a gorgeous Blu-ray of it that I do recommend as well. There's some cool extra features on it. But for streaming convenience, it is right there on Stars channel. And I'm sure it's also available to rent at any number of retailers. Screenwriter Larry Cohen wrote a remarkable thriller in 2002 called Phone Booth, which was directed by Joel Schumacher and starred Colin Farrell. After he did that, he wanted to continue to explore his worry about our increasingly narcissistic telephone and technology-obsessed society, so he wrote a film called Cellular for Sony Pictures, who liked the basic concept, but they didn't want to make yet another cynical tale of phones tearing us apart and making us separate. So they hired screenwriter Chris Morgan, who latched on to the idea and wanted to write something where an ordinary, everyday person can suddenly decide to be heroic, especially when pushed by extraordinary circumstances. This half-fish-out-of-water, half-underdog story that always makes the films much more accessible and compelling. The wrong man pushed. Well, this takes an interesting, interesting approach. In the film Cellular, which was directed by David R. Ellis, who is kind of the sequel man. He did Homeward Bound 2, Final Destination 2. And then after Cellular, it propelled him to be able to take on Snakes on a Plane. But in Cellular, Kim Basinger stars as Jessica Martin, a high school biology teacher who takes her son to the bus stop, says goodbye to him, comes back, there's a home invasion, and they murder her housekeeper right in front of her eyes and kidnap her. And they want to know where her husband is and where something is. They bring her to a safe house. It's a team headed up by Jason Statham before he was 
you know, the smoldering big action hero. He played a villain in this. And I love Jason Statham. Don't like him playing a villain. But he's great in the movie. And he's terrorizing Kim Basinger, takes a sledgehammer to the phone inside the safe house, not knowing that he messed with the wrong biology teacher. And she is able to join together the wires and amazingly figure out a way to dial out. She dials a number that she has no idea who she's called. We do. It turns out she calls none other than Captain America before he was Captain America or the handsome guy wearing the sweater in Knives Out that started the big sweater craze in 2019, Mr. Chris Evans. This is when Chris was very young. At the beginning of the movie, he's just an average 20-year-old or 20-something who gets dumped by his girlfriend, Jessica Beale because he's immature and self-involved. Well, that starts to change when he gets a call from the desperate Jessica Martin, Kim Basinger, wanting him to take the phone that he's on, first of all, convince him that yes, she really is kidnapped, bring the phone to a police officer. He does. He takes it to William H. Macy. There's a riot that breaks out on the floor he's on with the officer. He starts to lose the phone call, you know, back then with signals and minutes, and there were a lot of problems. So it's really up to Chris Evans to kind of figure out how to save Jessica Martin's family. He tries to intervene and get her son picked up from school before the villains can do it, tries to track down the husband at the airport. There are so many twists in this movie, and it's very, very clever. It's super fast moving, super intense, and just a lot of fun. It's an unabashed B thriller, and one that kind of foreshadows the same sort of half-jokey, half-action tone that Chris Morgan, the screenwriter, would propel into the Fast and Furious franchise when he was hired to write Tokyo Drift, number four, five, six, seven, eight. He has had a hand in all of these movies, working with Jason Statham yet again. And you can see his talent in this film. It's available right now on Tubi, which is T-U-B-I. I had seen this movie on DVD after it came out and really enjoyed it. And then we would watch it like every few years or so. But it's been a while. So before I chose the film this time, I went and watched it again on Tubi and was so entertained by it. It's exactly the type of thing we need right now to help keep our mind off issues. You're not going to find yourself like reaching for your phone during this movie to tweet about it or text a friend or whatever. This one grabs your attention and doesn't let go. The supporting cast too is just great. I mean, beyond Statham, of course, there's Noah Emmerich, who's one of my favorites. He has an interesting role in this one. And Macy does a really good job of sort of walking the same line that Chris Evans' character does, where they're probably good guys deep down, but how much do they really want to get involved and go out on a limb for something that might be a hoax or might be somebody they don't know? So it isn't quite as cynical as Phone Booth, but it does at the same time raise some questions about connectivity. Yes, there are a few sort of cheesy moments that tries to sort of joke things up every once in a while that probably didn't need to be there. But I think in a way they help break the tension just slightly to kind of like calm you down for a minute so you can laugh at something stupid. And then it goes right back into hyperdrive. 
so I can't recommend Cellular enough. Again, it's a B-movie, but it's an entertaining-as-hell B-movie that deserves a bigger audience. Anesthesia affects everyone differently. My friend Paul woke up after a wisdom teeth extraction speaking French for no reason, except he did study it in school, but not on a level where he just spoke it all the time in everyday conversation. And I guess it took quite a little bit for Paul to get back to English that day. But something really strange happened to Mary Steenburgen when she had arm surgery years ago. She woke up and everyone around her, when they were speaking to her, she heard it as music. It was as though everyone was singing to her and it was very disturbing, but it also sort of lent itself to her creative side. And years later, she became a songwriter. It's sort of a side of Mary Steenburgen that not too many people know about. In 2018, she wrote one hell of a good song or co-wrote it for Wild Rose which is the film I'm going to talk about now. It was directed by Tom Harper, who directed that excellent War and Peace miniseries that was just on a few years back with Paul Dano and Lily James. Wild Rose stars Jesse Buckley, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite actors from the UK. She was in a remarkable movie called Beast that I cannot recommend enough. She's also had excellent turns in just about everything she has been in, including the War and Peace miniseries, which she also played a role in, and that's how she met Tom Harper. The film also stars Sophie Ognito, Julie Walters. It was written by Nicole Taylor and centers on Rosalind Harlan, played by Buckley, an aspiring country singer and single mother from Glasgow, Scotland, who is released from jail after a 12-month attempted drug smuggling job. A singer in a house band at Glasgow's Grand Old Opry, she loses her job due to her criminal record and has to quickly find some other means of employment to take care of herself and her two children who have been cared for by her mother, Marion, Julie Walters, who wants her daughter, Rosalind Harlan, to give up on the country music pipe dream and just come back down to planet Earth and find a way to be happy with her lot in life. In the film, she takes a job as a housekeeper to a wealthy woman whose kids hear her singing one day while she's cleaning. And the mom is a big fan of her songs and country music and wants to help her. But throughout this relationship, Rosalind has not been honest about her background. So you know that's going to probably come out. It's a great character piece where all of the songs are performed by Jesse Buckley and they're all knockouts. Now, Now, I do have to make a confession. I am not the world's most knowledgeable person or the biggest fan of country music, but I grew up loving Patsy Cline and also enjoyed singing. I played some instruments growing up, but singing is something I always loved. I did star in some musicals that I think I only got the role because I could sing and could not act my way out of a paper bag otherwise, but that's a whole other story. And Patsy, is somebody who I always tried to mimic or imitate 
I never took any singing lessons. So how I taught myself was listening to a bunch of different singers and then just trying to copy their style and the way they would take breaths at certain times or do inflections. And Patsy always blew my mind the way she would find just the right words to punch, kind of like Frank Sinatra does. So it was so cool to see Jesse Buckley doing the exact same thing in this movie although Jesse is a tremendous singer. I'm nowhere near that, my God. But it was cool to see her singing some of these beloved songs and just other music in the country vein. It brought back some memories of me singing when I was younger, probably like into my hairbrush, like a total suburban little cliche back in the 90s. It's one of those great people mover stories or character driven pieces that kind of just asks you to take a leap of faith because as it begins, of course, she's self-centered and I know sometimes it's hard. I think we're less forgiving too when it's female characters, which is sort of an internal sexism we always have to watch out for. That when we see flawed characters or people who are, you know, like shitty to their kids or not doing the best job at home, it sort of jars us. And I like that this one had the courage to show a flawed woman, but also show that she's coming of age on her own. And we know that she'll probably get there. It's just a fascinating tale and really pulls you in. The music, of course, is fabulous. And basically the reason to watch besides Jessie Buckley, who should be nominated, I think, for like every movie she's in. She's so so talented. And I think this is one that you'll enjoy. It is currently playing on Hulu, which, as I said in an earlier episode, has a really tremendous library of films. If you start digging around, you're going to find a lot of good stuff on Hulu. But it's a little frustrating. It's kind of, it's not maybe as bad as Amazon at their organization is just nonsensical, but it is a little bit harder to find some things on Hulu. So I'm very happy to dig around Hulu's library of movies to find great ones that I can recommend to you. With the release of his directorial debut, Gone Baby Gone, which was adapted from a novel by Dennis Lehane and starred his brother Casey Affleck. Actor-turned-writer-director Ben Affleck became one of the most exciting directors working today. His most famous movie, of course, is Argo, which garnered the Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards. But my favorite film that he's made so far is still The Town from 2010, now playing on HBO in its original theatrical edition. There's also an extended cut that includes about 20 or so extra minutes of footage that I actually think enhances the movie. It's Ben Affleck's preferred cut as well. It makes the picture a little bit more pessimistic, existential, and realistic, and actually completely changes the fate of one character in a way that I think actually improves the film overall. Either film you watch, The Town is just a great crime thriller. It is based on author Chuck Hogan's Charleston, Massachusetts set novel, Prince of Thieves. Charleston is home to the most bank robbers. They say when a bank is robbed in Charleston, the first thing you do is pretty much close off the exits because 
the robber is probably there. And the film stars Ben Affleck as the robber you would consider the prince of his group of thieves, including his best friend and brother from another mother, Jem, played by Jeremy Renner, in another outstanding performance that one year after getting him a nod for The Hurt Locker got him another Oscar nomination back to back. Early into the movie, he and Jem and their group of friends who basically inherited the skills of the trade from their fathers and the men of Charleston knock over a bank and take the teller played by Rebecca Hall hostage, helping to calm her down enough to open the vault during the robbery. There's a little bit of a spark of interest in Affleck into Rebecca Hall as they let her go shortly after, and he finds himself worrying for her safety and checking up on her, and a romance starts to develop between the two when she speaks to him, having no idea that he was the man behind the mask who was robbing her and held her hostage. John Hamm, who's another one of our great actors who I wish was in more films, and he really just hasn't um, I think people just still remember him so much for his just incredible work on Mad Men and haven't really been able to think outside the box or haven't really been able to adjust to his work on the big screen. John Hamm is the FBI agent who is tracking down the robbers. He too is a little bit drawn to Rebecca Hall. We find out that she has moved to Charleston. So she's basically a few blocks away from the criminals. And Affleck is very worried that his wildcard friend, Jem, Jeremy Renner, would pretty much go and do something, kill her, if he feared that she could turn them in. Involved with Jem's sister, played by Blake Lively, who is also really excellent in this movie, even though she's probably a good five or six years too young for the role she is playing. It seems that Blake Lively's character had a child that she attributes to Affleck, but it's probably not his kid because she was involved with everyone in recovery from his time as an addict when he was with Blake Lively. He is trying his best to put that sort of life behind him. And I think looks at Rebecca Hall like she could be his chance to go straight. There's always that really romantic thing in noir films where the love of a good woman will, of course, heal the wounds of the bad man and make him better. And yeah, it's a cliche, but I still eat it up. It's it's so great. I actually love it when it's the other way around, when it's a bad woman being drawn in by some square Joe, which seldom seems to happen. So writers, maybe get on that and flip it around, see what happens. But The Town is an outstanding movie. It is shot by Robert Elswit, who of course, was one of the Paul Thomas Anderson cinematographers who did some of Paul's greatest films. I actually spoke about Robert Elswit a couple episodes ago when I was recounting his work in the 90s and beyond. 
one of the movies that I can watch again and again. I always love a good heist film. The town is a blast, and it's also just so compelling. They never really glamorize anything. You're right there into the grit, but you also start to see everyone as people, and that's more true in the extended edition, which gives the women a little bit more point of view and personality. There was a borderline hint, a little bit of misogyny with the Blake Lively character in the shortened version that you will see on the HBO cover. But she becomes a more fully three-dimensional character in the extended version. So I do recommend trying to check that one out after you get a chance to see the theatrical film, which is also stellar, but just stellar in a different way. One of the strongest genre films in years, I would say. The docudrama style realism just really brings the town to life. Elevated, too, by Affleck who is in such command of his story since he co-wrote the film with Chuck Hogan. Although, yes, of course, it's reminiscent of Michael Mann's masterpiece Heat in terms of both the style and the tone at times, because this also has a little bit of an existential edge. That's something I love about Affleck's work. It's one I can rewatch multiple times and have. In fact, I just watched it a few weeks back. The Town is one I cannot recommend enough. So I think you'll dig it, especially if you enjoy a good, compelling crime epic, because that's precisely what this is. So to recap, today we had I Capture the Castle, which is playing right now on Vudu for free. Mad Dog and Glory is available on Stars. Cellular, you can find on Tubi. Wild Rose is hiding in that great Hulu library. And The Town is playing on HBO. I do want to apologize if my voice was a little gravelly in places. My asthma has been acting up. I think it's probably just spring allergies. So if I sounded a little ragged from time to time, that is probably why. Once again, I hope that you're all doing well and enjoying these movies and other movies, whatever you're watching. And I want to thank you so much for the great feedback that I've received from you, especially also on my newest Watch With Jen shows. It's been fun to read your comments on those. I want to let you know that we have a lot of great guests coming up as well and people that have all kinds of taste so you're bound to find something you enjoy that's what I'm trying to do here as well with my recommendations sort of scan and try to find interesting titles from all kinds of genres and relay them to you. So get psyched because I have like a mile long list of more movies to recommend and keep your fingers crossed that they don't leave streaming services soon. Take care, everyone. I will see you next time. I am Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen.